you listen to as many podcasts as I do, and I think at this point we've established that I listen to a lot of podcasts, you'll know that there is something of a rite of passage, and it has happened to me. In the middle of this interview, a good, you know, 20, 30 minutes in, I looked up and realized I was not recording. I've been a journalist interviewing people for like 13 years at this point, so this is not the first time in the middle of an interview I've had to stop and hit record, but in most cases, I can just fake it and no one's the wiser, but you can't start a podcast in the middle. So poor Ted Lawrence got to re-record everything he'd already said, and he was such a good sport about it. I, however, was mortified. You'll remember we had Ted on a couple episodes ago, and I'm so glad he agreed to come back again. Even though he technically comes from within our industry, he has such a broader perspective on retail. Ted's got some interesting insights on setting up Bofus, as well as where the marketing sweet spot is. We talk about what kind of marketing you should be doing right now, and you should still be marketing right now, by the way. And we cover other retail trends he sees coming down the pike. This conversation really is chock full of interesting tidbits. On second listen, I kind of can't believe we packed this much into just over 40 minutes. I hope you enjoy. This is the Spa Retailer Podcast, where we talk retail, business, and all things related to the hot tip industry. I'm your host, Megan Kendrick, owner of Spa Retailer Magazine. So on the Spa Retailer Podcast today, we have Ted Lawrence from Pool Corp. Ted was on a couple of weeks ago, and we've invited him back to talk a little bit more in depth about some of the things that we covered last time. Welcome back to the podcast, Ted. Hey, Megan. How are you? I'm doing good. So what our audience doesn't know is that we just spent about 30 minutes talking and I didn't hit the record button. So I'm making you do it again. So it's not even like take two of 10 on the podcast. It's more like take three of repeating yourself. So thanks for thanks for doing that. No, this is awesome. I got my dress rehearsal out of the way. We're good. Yeah, we both did, I guess. Um, Oh, goodness. You know, I wish I could say... You can just chime in on on whatever I left out. You can just chime in now. Well, hopefully I remember because clearly I'm firing on all cylinders today. (laughs) (laughs) So one thing that we talked about a little bit last time you were on was buy online, pick up in store. And I wanted to delve a little bit more into some of these topics and trends. We talked a lot about the pandemic last time and, and supply chain and how that was all impacted. But for this time, I want to talk more about how COVID has changed and forced change, like you like to say, and is moving us in a direction and some of these trends that are going to stick around. And so buy online, pick up in store, we talked about last time, but I think it'd be good to talk a little bit more in depth about how you actually achieve that. It's one of those things that I think is probably easier said than done, I would guess. Yes, it really is. Anything new is obviously scary, but you said it right. I use the word force change often because the change was happening before COVID and it just really forced us a little earlier than we probably wanted to change. 
And, you know, the BOPIS strategy has been around for quite some time now, and it's really during the pandemic gained the traction. So out of survival, you know, retailers this year for sure had to come up with a BOPIS strategy. And the very first thing on a BOPIS strategy is to do something digital. A lot of retailers for sure were, they were taking tents, they were putting them out in the parking lot and creating signage and, you know, moving their inside operation outside, but it's not enough. You know, you have to go the digital route as well. Consumers are flocking to Google. They're going to Facebook pages and they're finding out if, are you open? Like, how are you doing business? And the focus strategy is the first one is, is the digital piece of it, right? It's scary, but it's easy on creating a website or an app or something that would attach to your current website that will allow the consumer to buy now and have them come to your store and pick up. There's a ton of different ones out there. The one that I and my team, we use constantly or we recommend is the Shopify. And the reason I love Shopify is that it automatically will create a Facebook marketplace account. So now you can sell off your website, you can sell off of a Shopify site, you can sell off of your Facebook account. So it really becomes all encompassing to where a customer can buy now and pick up in the store later. Setting up an e-commerce site, which essentially is what this is. I think that's really intimidating and retailers probably think, well, I have to have all of our products. I have to have all of our inventory represented. I got to have it tied into all of our back office stuff. So it, you know, it automatically makes sure that the, the everything is updated and all of that. But is that true? I mean, do you need to, does it have to be that complicated or can you just say, look, these are the top five selling items in our store. Let's put those up online so that, and these are the things that are easy for people to run in and pick up or for us to run out to someone's car in the middle of the day. Listen, it's nice to have all of these bells and whistles, right? It's for sure. If you were 16, it'd be nice to learn how to drive in a Lamborghini, but you're not ready for that, right? I always say, listen, dumb it down and think small first. Look at the potential where you could be and have a strategy to get there. So when you create a Shopify account, sure, can it link to your QuickBooks through a ERP? Can it do some automatic invoicing and things like that? Absolutely, they can. But what you might want to do is start small. Look at, okay, what are my top selling SKUs? We all know in the hot tub business and the pool business that chemicals are some of the top selling aftermarket products. So Let's start with your chemicals. Let's start with cover lifters and steps. And heck, if you sell grills, bags of charcoal and, and those sorts of things that a consumer can buy online and pick up in store. Then as you get familiar with the software, then I would say you could start doing the add-ins and adding things to QuickBooks and your ERP system or having automation come into play. But it does not have to be that sophisticated early on. Last time I talked about my love of, of BOPUS because I don't want to get my kids out of their car seats and, you know, that's how I do all of my <laughs> groceries and everything these days. But I actually, you know, I actually bought something that way from a local gift shop. I wanted to reorder some incense of all things. I mean, does that make me sound Ooh, like a hippie or very what? Nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, namaste. Yeah, yeah namaste. right. So when yeah. I was going to go to Amazon and as I was sitting there looking at Amazon, I'm like, this is dumb. I know this local place has it. Maybe I can just buy it from them. Pulled up their website. Sure enough, ordered it online. And you know what? that actually involved two phone calls from them, <laughs> but it was fine because they called and said, Hey, you know what? We are out of this at the moment, but we're going to have someone Saturday. Is that okay? Yes, that's okay. I don't need this right now. I can yeah. pick it up next time. I'm not getting groceries fine. And that's what I did. And it was great. It was a great experience. Like, you know, clearly didn't have it tied in perfectly to their inventory, but it didn't matter. Right. I didn't care. And that 
phone call from them was perfectly all right. And I feel like even endeared them to me more for their customer service. So it was a great experience, even though it wasn't, you know, maybe a perfect experience. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be perfect. You know, people are forgiving, especially in the times we are in, and things are going to happen. The consumer is going to make mistakes. They're going to order something and on the app, it's going to say, when do you plan on picking it up? And they're going to say Saturday at nine. And really they meant Friday at four. So I think the best thing that you can do is you treat the orders that come through that system like a hot potato, right? You don't have to have skilled labor to run things out and from the store to the car. What you need to make sure you do have, though, is have the items all ready. So if they are ordering chemicals, let's put them all into a bag. Let's staple the bag shut. If there's multiple bags, right, you know, one of two or two of three with the customer's information on there, I would have a designated parking space outside. If you have the ability to do that with a sign that says pick up and put phone number to either call or a phone number to text when you're there. You know, I always say you should probably text this way you can create a text group. And when a customer gets there, everyone gets this text message. So we know that's very important to get, get their stuff out to the car. I definitely want to talk more about the texting ability, because that's another one of those things that I think sounds difficult, but actually is not hard to, to accomplish and makes it so easy to communicate with your customers. But first, I don't want to get too far away from Bopus. I mean, why are we all ordering from Amazon? It's, it's for the convenience, right? And I think that most people would prefer to be shopping at small local businesses. And it's just that convenience factor that we can't get around, right? We're all busy. We're all harried. And I mean, the reason why I go into Walmart, because, you know, after I've done my grocery pickup is because I forgot five things or in between mm -hmm. the time I placed the order and I showed up, I realized that my daughter needs something for school that I didn't know she needed. And so, yeah. you know, those are the reasons why we turn to the big box stores and the reasons why we turn to the Amazons of the world is for the convenience. And when a small business can offer that convenience, I think people will go for it every single time because there's some goodwill involved in supporting your community and supporting your neighbors. And especially right now, we're all wanting to do that whenever we can. And so giving your customers the ability to, to have the convenience that they want out of an Amazon from you, I think is going to be a game changer for some of these smaller retailers. For sure. I mean, Amazon makes it so easy to buy now. It's simple, right? And that's the beauty of it. And that's why we, we shop on something like that. But supporting local, I think is extremely important. And a consumer doesn't mind supporting local as long as they don't have to go way out of the way to do it, right? So if you can have an online platform, say attached to your Facebook site that I can buy and that you can either ship it or I can pick it up, I think that's a enormous step forward. The world was already heading there before COVID happened. And that forced change made 70-year-old grandmas download the app from their local grocery store and learn how to shop for groceries on an app. So, you know, these enormous industries have taught the consumer, this is a normal thing to do now. Before COVID happened, the mass merchants were already doing their research. They did the research, came back that 60%, 60% of consumers who bought online to pick up in store actually went into the store to buy another item. And the primary reason that they cited for going into the store or why they shopped online was they just wanted to make sure that they had the product secured before they made the trek out to the store. In my case, it's because I forgot something 100%. Yeah, or you forgot that. Listen, we all do that, right? I mean, 70% of us shop with a mental list. So we're bound to forget something, right? And those people who, those 20% of people who shop at the list, they wind up buying 40% more product outside the list. 
So lists don't work. I like to shoot from the hip and my wife's getting into technology now. So she's created a, through our Apple notes that we share, all of the to-do lists are now in the Apple's notes. So anytime I need something to do, I go to Apple notes now. Wait, 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 wait. So she makes the list and you actually look at it because I, I make the list. My downfall is that I can't actually get Aaron to look at them. Yeah. I know. I get notifications. So it, it, you know, it bugs me. So, and I'm the shopper of the house because, you know, it's sort of my craft is understanding retail. So I don't mind going to the grocery store and, you know, I'll chalk it up as, you know, learning. So <laughs> that's amazing. Well, I'm glad that that works for you guys. But let's go back to the texting, because when you look at changes coming out of COVID and you look at the changes that are coming just generationally, texting is a, is a big thing. I, I hire college students to be our, our nannies. I have never called one of them. We only communicate by text. I think if I yeah. called them, they would think that somebody died. So it's just, they don't want phone calls. They don't want voicemails. That is foreign to them. And I even find myself moving in that direction. I am horrible at checking my work voicemail. I'm terrible at it. But mm -hmm. email and text messages, I'll reply to those immediately. <laughs> well, I think you said the words, you know, generational is definitely the key word here. And depending on when, when we were born is, you know, what type of technology was there or world events that sort of shaped who we are as people. And definitely there's this big shift in the generation and who's buying what products. So, you know, it's really interesting. I do a lot of research and I study the generations very, very thoroughly. And, you know, the baby boomer generation is in excess of 60 million in our country. And back behind there is us Gen Xers. And I'm a proud Gen Xer. And we're a small little, you know, niche generation. We're only about 20 million of us in the United States. And we're sandwiched between this other generation, which is the millennial generation or Gen Y, that's another 60 to 70 million in population. And we're also so very, very different. So the first thing I always tell retailers today is if you're marketing or catering towards the baby boomer generation right now, stop it. The generation that you need to be marketing to right now is Gen X. And the reason I say Gen X is because we speak both languages. We speak boomer and we speak millennial. We're that sandwich generation. So if you reach out to the Gen X generation and market towards us, you'll touch both of them. Actually, all three of us really, right? So the generational gap is, it's big. I mean, you go from no technology all the way through technology or a generation that was born with technology. So it doesn't mean that you should completely abandon all other sorts of media. But, you know, texting is, I think, one of those multi-generational things that are going on. You know, my 80-year-old father uses more emojis and makes the longest text message that I've ever seen in my life. Everyone does like the text to communicate. And we all understand that a lot of times verbal communication through a phone, which is so impersonal, is sort of going away that saying things and texting things or us being able to read it is more meaningful. So when you talk about marketing towards Gen X and not for baby boomers anymore, which I think is probably what most in our industry have been doing. I mean, those have been our customers for years and years and years. When you talk about marketing toward Gen X, is it just the ways and the avenues that you use to market or are there actually different messages that work for that Gen X kind of sweet spot versus baby boomers and millennials? Or are we really just talking about the channels that you're using to market? Great question. It's really all of the above because it is the channel it is the message and you know when you when you market towards a gen x or even a boomer 
before then, you got to look back in time and say, what is something that's nostalgic that would really resonate with this consumer today, right? So us Gen Xers, we're the new old generation or the old new generation. We love old things that are brand new. And marketers really understand this. And that's why you see, when you look at automobiles, like the new Ford Mustang is the old looking Mustang, but it's new. And the Chevy Camaro is the same way. And like the new Ford Bronco that's coming out, right? I love the new Ford that, Bronco. I pre-ordered one, Megan. So, so I have one coming. And I'm so jealous of you for that. <laughs> it must be my midlife crisis. I don't know. I'm going to go back to a Bronco. I had one when I was in high school. So that's Oh, you did? Nostalgic. I did. Yeah. It's my first car. Oh, that's pretty great. So... Yeah, so it's nostalgic to me, but it's that's the old new car, right? Looks old, but has all the new techie features that I, I like in it. So when you look at marketing towards a generation, yeah, like I love all of seeing Super Bowl ads and some of the tongue and cheekiness that you see on TV or or even some of the kind of the YouTube ads. There's sort of that slapstick, hilarious, sort of funny. And that's who we are as Gen Xers. We're not so serious. I love watching like old commercials from like the 1950s. Like how serious. And it was all these like features. Look at this car and look how fast it is. And this type of engine and this type of what. And that's not how we are today. It's all about the lifestyle, right? And the experience. It has nothing to do with the actual individual things of the product. So yeah, the message is different. We're a lifestyle generation. So we need to be marketed as such. I like that, that, that looking back, I think you're absolutely right. I think that does work. And I mean, again, I'm going to talk about my nannies, <laughs> Yeah, that's... but, but I mean, I look at like the clothes that they wear and the music that they like, and all of it has this vintage kind of vibe. And that's sort of what's cool again. Right. I mean, vintage at this point is like the nineties, which sort of breaks my heart, but you know, that's kind mm -hmm. of what they think is cool again. So I think it even works for when you're looking back to even the younger, you know, millennials, or, I mean, these guys are maybe even like what Gen Y at this point we're talking about. I mean, that's something that actually works across everybody, you know, for the baby boomers, it's nostalgic. And for maybe the, the Gen, yeah. the millennials and Gen Y it's, you know, ironic. <laughs> I love seeing teenage boys and girls wearing like a Nirvana t-shirt. That's throwback now, right? But that was my generation. I grew up with that, right? And I'm sure I did the same thing with Led Zeppelin and The Who and everything else when I was little, right? But, you know, we are products of the generation before us. So I love the nostalgia. When you look at vinyl record sales today, it's the highest Final record sales have been in the last 20 years this past year. You know, so some of the throwback stuff is, is cool again. And so I think if you can reach out in history, look at a piece of relevancy and pop culture and make that relevant to today, you have a home run. You for sure have a home run. You know, it's bringing those nostalgic feelings back and attaching you, your business or your product to it are, are awesome. But then of course the channels do matter. And I wanted to mm -hmm. talk to you about social media specifically, because I think that's something that, you know, we've been hammering at home for, I don't know how many years about the importance of being in those medias, mediums, I guess you could say. And for some it's clicked and some it hasn't, but you just can't ignore it anymore. I mean, it is where you have to have a presence and not just a presence. It has to look professional and represent your brand the way that you want it to. Social media is here to stay. It is the biggest influencer, right? It makes us aware of products. It makes us aware of services. You know, it influences on what we buy. And there's so many different types of social media out there. But if we really just focus on the main one in our 
demographic, which is Facebook, right? I mean, our demographic is a 40-something woman who's married, has kids, medium salary of $70,000 And our demographic is spending the majority of their time on Facebook. So if you have to learn one right now, it is certainly Facebook. Now, I think where a lot of people go wrong is they don't know what type of message or what to say or do. And I think those that overthink it are the ones that get very little activity. If you keep it relevant, if you keep it personal, and you post something that engages conversation, not just, hey, today's National Pizza Day. That does nothing. Like, okay, that might be cool, but it doesn't doesn't invoke a conversation or some activity on your site. Or, hey, look, hot tubs for sale. Doesn't yeah. do anything for me. No, I think sometimes people think posting something engaging means posting a question. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's a good point. And I'm not sure. I mean, I'm, we're, we're guilty of doing it too. We've done it before also, but I think you're right when you say personal, because I think that's what people actually find engaging when they feel like they're communicating with an actual person and not a yes. you know quote unquote brand. And that doesn't mean that what you post can't be professional or can't even be, you know, well-produced. That's not what personal means. It just means that it has a genuineness to it that people people can relate to. And I think that is what's actually engaging, not, Hey, what's your favorite pizza recipe on national pizza day? It's yeah, like, that's um, right. yeah. <laughs> I think that, you know, the best thing you can do as a owner is empower your employees to come up with content. So the person working the retail floor who let them you know, shoot video and think of ideas all day, or the person who's out in their delivery truck delivering a hot tub all day. These are great things to shoot and show and share that just spark interest. I mean, look at the big spike in cooking videos that are online. People just cooking, right? These have tremendous amounts of feedback or the guy digging a pool in Africa with a stick. You see these sorts of things. These are How many times have you seen videos. that? How many times have you seen those videos on Facebook and all of the industry groups? Because I think it's like hundreds of times at this point. And it's I still watch it every time. <laughs> yeah. It's just fascinating. So I think people love to step in your shoes for a moment. And for that moment of the guy digging a pool, I'm in his shoes for that moment. So if I can be in your shoes in your retail store or whatever else, I follow some industry Facebook pages, some good, some not so good. And I think the people that do it best show their work with pride. You know, dig in the pool and, you know, they'll show some funny little quirky things that are happening during the way or workers who are pouring concrete, messing around in the bottom of the pool or, you know, showing some time off of a guy, you know, eating a sandwich in the bottom of the pool or with some cutesy little captions. This stuff makes you human. And I think if you show that you are human, you're not a robot, this is not some big corporation, you know, spewing out social media posts, you're going to win. And plus show a puppy or a cat and you're probably doing pretty good too. Very, very <laughs> true. And But it's got to be like your puppy or cat or a customer's gotcha. puppy or cat, because if you just start showing like random pictures of puppies, that also looks disingenuous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hang in there. That's it. So I think that's such a great point. And I love that you talked about empowering employees to come up with content. I think that owners are always like, well, why am I spending all this money for a marketing firm when you know, I don't want to, I pay my marketing team to do that. I don't pay the person at the counter to do that. And I understand that to a certain extent, but like everyone has some downtime. And I think mm -hmm. that people will be shocked to see the 
creativity and talent and engagement from their own employee base when they do that. When someone feels like they can show the things that they love about their job or even think about the things they love at their job or even the things that are hard about their job that are kind of funny. Yeah. I mean, those things are, it's a great way to also bring your team together. And I think that, you know, owners kind of need to get over themselves when it comes to that kind of stuff and let their employees use their phones sometimes in their jobs yep. <laughs> and make some cool yeah, stuff. I, I think it's a great way to promote, you know, camaraderie and team and engagement. And plus you're not paying a marketing person. Like you probably have the minds in the room that know your product and business the best who have your best interest in mind trying to help you in the business and themselves. I mean, to me, that's a great bowl of soup right there. I mean, yeah. that's- I mean, you know, you hire the marketing team to help you, you know, put together campaigns for your big events of the year, your big sales. I mean, there are, there are mm -hmm. reasons why you need professionals. Like, let's be clear. But when it comes to social media, it can almost hurt you more than it helps you. It's like, that's where it's great to have, you know, that personal touch and employees are perfect for that. You know, you just have to make sure that the content is relevant on the platform. That's all. And we all know what that means, right? So when we look at, you know, Twitter has a certain following, Facebook has a certain amount of things that you post about, you know, basically your family, obviously LinkedIn utilizes the more business side of things. And, you know, Instagram is all about, you know, pictures and lifestyle. And I think as long as you sort of have a strategy around that, it should look like it's in the feed. I think that's the biggest thing that a lot of great marketing friends of mine always say is your posts need to look like it belongs when I scroll in the feed. And if it doesn't, it's in the wrong place. You know, I think that's sort of maybe your gut check. They see, you know, where should this go? Should this be a Facebook page? Or, well, does it look like it belongs in the feed? And I think some of the best advertisers, if you are using Facebook boosting ads and utilizing the Facebook for business side, if you do run some ads, make sure they look like they belong into the feed. That doesn't look like an ad. Because it's crazy how well that all works when you run Facebook ads and promotions and campaigns. I mean, it's crazy who you can target to what and what little very predefined area and the responses that you get. Facebook for local advertising can be really fantastic. Powerful. But that, yeah, and th but that kind of brings me to another question. So obviously talking to a lot of retailers right now, they're like, well, we turned off our advertising because we don't have any more product to sell anyway. What are your thoughts on, on that particular strategy? That is probably the number one thing on the marketing side of things I'm hearing this year. Why would I advertise when I have nothing to sell or I'm way too busy? Try being in well, trade publishing. I have that conversation like I, 10 times sure. a day. <laughs> so the biggest thing is you brand yourself now. You shift from selling to branding. And that's the focus that I need to do is it's not selling more today. You're branding yourself for next year and the year after to the next generation, all these sorts of things. Before I knew what branding was, I'll never forget this. There was this pool company that always advertised in the back of the yearbooks of my high school and in all of the, the magazines and things like that we put out in high school. And it was a pool store, coincidentally. And the neighborhood always rallied around this pool store because they had full page ads and they didn't run like, hey, buy a pool from me and look how cheap we are. It was like, we're supporting your community. Congratulations, graduates. You know, thanks, you know, congratulations making to the state champions. And they were just being top of mind. So to advertise today is about, take a page out of this little 30-year-old yearbook, was be top of mind, 
and think about branding your business on who you want to convey yourself to in the community. I mean, you better believe like the parents whose kid worked on the yearbook and like, you know, sold that ad. <laughs> yeah. I better believe that if they needed anything further pulled, they were going there because that is a, that's that where they're going. Win. That's a full, that's a full win. I think the same thing as even church bulletins do. They have that same thing where parishioners are almost feel obligated to support the people who are in church bulletins. It, that the power of community is. Do people put ads in church bulletins? I didn't know that was a thing. They do. You know, I'm I'm a born Catholic, so the our church must be too small because we're not getting any advertisers in our in our church bulletin. They make me feel guilty when I walk out of church. I have to take it, and then of course it sits in my car, it gravitates into my house, and then I'll be eating breakfast. I'll just search through it. I mean, there's a whole page of stuff. So I mean, well, I think about it. Our like our church community, maybe they're not advertising, but those are the people that I mean that I'm going to support if I need something. I mean, it's just what you do when you're in community with people. You said the word community. That's it. So in community it could be your church. Community can be your school. District district community can be whatever. And I'm very actively involved in, in my community. And if I am willing to pay more for a product or a service for somebody in my community than I would somewhere else, I'd gladly pay it. Now, there's a barrier in how much I'm, I'm willing to pay, but they're going to get my first shot every single time. And that's why being involved in the community, branding yourself and your business, you can't stop that. You're not going to say no when the softball team comes in that you've been supporting the past 10 years for their donation. You got to do it. It's good for everybody. It's hard to quantify with sales, mm -hmm. but think about community spirit. That's what you need to look at. I have to share this brilliant thing that we are putting in the magazine in this upcoming issue. There is Mountain Hot Tub in Bozeman, Montana, and mm -hmm. Kelly King, the owner, he's been on the podcast before and been in the magazine a lot. Well, they decided to turn off their internet marketing, but instead of just keeping that money, what they ended up doing was they worked with their community to provide internet access to any families that couldn't afford it because obviously kids wow. need it for school and all of those things. Like what? Yeah an amazing, I mean, that is way better than any internet ads they could have ran right now. Like that is branding that will come back to them tenfold. I'm sure it was just the most brilliant idea. And, you know, obviously a need in their community and helped a lot of people, but also endeared them to their community in a way that, That's right. you know, in any type of actual, you know, regular advertising they would have ran right now wouldn't have done. That was an idea that was probably brought on from the heart. How do I help the people in my community that the, the side benefit is the branding and the top of mind of the business? And the, I'm sure if I'm one of those people who benefited from the internet, man, if I get money and I'm old enough, that's where I'm going to go buy my product. I mean, they helped me. Yeah. So, and even if you're not the person who needs it, just the fact that you know that this is a business that cares about making sure kids are able to, you know, keep up with school, I would spend yeah. that money there in a heartbeat. And those sorts of things snowball too. So I'm sure they're getting contacted by another business who wants to get involved and these things get out of control sometimes in a positive way. So I think that's brilliant. I really do. I and I, I think I like the idea of, you know, people are like, I turned off all of our advertising. And I think that, you know, what you're talking about is not, you're not advertising a sale. You're not advertising a product. When yes. we're talking about branding, we're talking about things like what Mountain Hot Tub did, where it's, you're getting in front of your community, you're staying top of mind. And that doesn't maybe mean a Facebook ad or a, you know, Instagram ad that could be something completely different. I think it's, 
you don't stop and you may need to, you may need to rethink what you're doing that fits this moment. I look at it as there's a local gas station by my house. You know, they're part of a big chain of gas stations, but the sort of the sign of the building, you would never know it. And their community involvement from this gas station is absolutely crazy. They've kept all the other gas stations like either out or even some of the larger big supermarket sort of gas stations. It's because people won't go anywhere else because their involvement in the community. They're always helping out somebody in need. They're leading the parade with all the different cars and things. They're handing out, you know, swag and tchotchkes at every single time they can. And, you know, once again, that's a business that is really ingrained themselves into the community. Do they do it because they want my gas money? That's not their primary focus. Their focus is community. And the side benefit is they're going to get my gas. I feel like these are things we talk about and I was like, oh, this is such a great idea, but there are real examples of how that kind of involvement boosts a business. I mean, you know, I mean, it's not just, it's not just lip service and it's not just like, oh, this is a nice thing to do, but there are real examples of how that turns around and benefits businesses in revenue (laughs) and not just, and not just goodwill. I mean, it does make a difference. Everything matters in retail. Everything matters. You know, the way things look, the way you act, what you support, literally everything matters. And I think the people who don't realize, don't understand retail well, take a lot of those things for granted. They want to see dollars and cents. They want to see, okay, I run this ad. What's the ROI on this? What's my acquisition cost per customer? A lot of times you can't put a number on some of these things. Can you on an online sale? For sure. We can talk about impressions and, you know, those sorts of things. But for a retail, it's an emotional attachment to a brand and it's an emotional purchase. Mm-hmm. And we need to cater towards the emotion. Yeah. So. I feel like you're saying all of the things that we've been saying to our customers. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, yeah. you know, going going back to making like my pitch for, you know, advertising in trade magazines right now, when you don't have any product or any capacity to bring on new dealers, it's like that will change, you know? And I think that people mm-hmm. do care about the brands and the companies that support the industry. And I would argue that supporting the trade magazine is supporting the industry and it does matter. And people do notice that stuff and it does come up in my conversations with retailers. And so I think that visibility isn't something, you know, that I don't think running an ad right now is going to turn dealers off. You know, (laughs) I think, I think you can find the right, I think you can find the right message to to put out there talking about your relevance and our relevance and why that's going to matter going forward. I really hope you're right about manufacturers promoting and really still supporting industry things such as trade shows and trade magazines and you know groups like the Pool and Hot Tub Council. And I think these are extremely important things that you can't walk away from because guess what? That's our community. That's our business community. Mm -hmm. And we all need to support each other, no matter how big or how small. And if you're not a member of your local chapter or the national chapter, you need to be. And there are companies, certainly like my own that I work for, we will help you many times get your membership and pay your membership in some ways through rebates and splash cash. We want you to join and be a part of the community. It's extremely important. I think you bring up a valid point. Don't forget about where your store is in your community, but don't forget about the pool and hot tub community as well. Are there any other trends that we haven't touched on that you think are important that we're going to see come out of all of these other forced changes that we've been dealing with for the last year? There's a lot happening. You know, I've gotten my crystal ball out this year and been doing a lot of research on trying to figure out where we're all headed. So when I look at it, 
couple things come to mind. Number one is obviously the technology piece is, is changing on who we are and how we shop. And we certainly talked about that. It's not going away. You're still going to have a portion of people who are going to always want to do BOPIS or buy online, have it shipped. I think the second thing is in-store retail is certainly going to change on, you know, sanitization practices and how clean the store needs to be and look. They were important before. It's way more important now. Like you got to clean the little bugs out of every hot tub and you can't have fingerprints on the door and these sorts of, you can't be sloppy anymore. So I think, you know, changing, making sure that that still maintains is extremely important. Seeing dust on displays and stuff is always a turnoff, but now even more, it will make, it makes people stop and say, wait a second, if you haven't dusted this plant in 15 years, when is the last time that you sanitized your cash wrap or the door handle or, or, you know, high touch areas, it's gone from being a, well, that's disappointing to that's kind of scary. I'm old enough to remember when the micro band surfaces were like a big deal, like in hot tubs. I think that might make a comeback where these antimicrobial surfaces and things that didn't mean anything 15 and 20 years ago, they mean a lot now. So I think if I was a retailer or a hot tub manufacturer, I'd be looking at these sorts of things and say, how can I make it feel safer to the consumer as well as, you know, to the people who are are using the product? So sanitization for sure is going to be a part of retail. That's going to stay for a while now. I think that when we talk about the overall retail experience, we're going to continue to see digital come in through a myriad of different ways, like digital kiosks that sort of show things on how everything works. Self-service, I think, is another thing that's going to continue to trend out. You know, stores like the Apple Store are really changing the way that we shop anymore, where I can buy something at home and walk into the store, grab it off the shelf and walk right out the door like crazy. You know, going from traditional selling is certainly changing to lifestyle. People coming in know more about the products than we probably know about the products that are out there now, right? So consumer empowerment is going to be something and having the signage and POP supporting consumer empowerment is going to be important. So I think a lot of those things are changing. I think you're going to see more customers than you ever have and a different type of consumer base than you ever have. One that has maybe historically shopped at the mass merchant. And now that the mass merchant has more important things to focus on rather than our little category, you're going to see people come into your store looking for products and services. Oh, that's a great, that's a great, I haven't heard anybody say that before, but you're probably right. Yeah. I mean, it's, I feel like they're probably not as focused on trying to grab that little, you know, hot tub or swimming pool chemical niche. You're right. They have some bigger things to deal with. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I've known some hot tub retailers who sold through Costco. Right. And the reason they do it is because Costco was such a medium to provide this jump spring and sales to them. Well, now do I need that? No. Is Costco going to go farm out a hot tub manufacturer or whatever else? Probably not because it's less than, you know, 1.1% of their overall sales. You know, they're not. So they're going to do low hanging fruit. And in the pool and hot tub business, there's not a lot of low hanging fruit. So you're going to see a whole segment of consumer flock to your store. You're going to have to have the products and services to match both do-it-yourself consumer all the way through the affluent who just 
you know, we all know who they are, right? They want what they want and they don't want to touch anything and maintain anything. They just want to use it when it's hot and ready in the backyard. Well, you mentioned digital displays and that's something that I'm wondering is going to be, I mean, because right now showrooms are empty. I mean, hot tub retailers who normally would have 20 hot tubs on display, I feel like are lucky if they have five right now, you know, I mean, that's just the world that we're living in. And so you're seeing a lot of empty spaces in showrooms that they're trying to figure out how do I fill that and make my showroom still look nice and still look engaging and still be useful to the people who come in. And there's been some really creative and interesting digital displays that people are doing or massive QR codes the size of a hot tub. You know, I've seen some really, some really great things, (laughs) but I think that's stuff that will stick around going forward. Not the empty showrooms, but some of those displays and some of that interaction that people would normally do with the actual hot tub that they're now doing with a screen. I think some of that stuff is going to definitely stick around and for the better. Yeah, it does. I mean, people love interaction and they love the blend of digital and physical. So that's only going to continue as we move forward. And not to say that the hot tub is such a techie feature, but technology makes things a little cooler than they actually are. So, well, and we like to bill our products as being techie and, you know, they're definitely moving more in that direction, but you know, whether you're talking about your touchscreen control or, you know, the ability to connect to the hot tub with your phone or, you know, Mm -hmm. advanced sanitization systems, you know, those are all things that really lend themselves to learning about them on a screen in a way that can actually be better than maybe even looking at it in the showroom. It's funny you bring up the piece of technology and talking with the phone, you know, having the consumer be connected to that device. It's really funny because that's a whole nother segment of the world that sort of changed. And I think that the companies like Nest are the ones that changed us consumers. Like, why do I care what temperature of my house is right now? And I think if people do, it's almost like trust, but verify. Is my car locked? Well, I have two ways of finding out now. I can actually go outside and figure it out. Or I can look on my app on my smartphone right now. That'll tell me if my car is locked. And there's a sense of security and safety that consumers love when high ticket items are connected to them in that way. Mm -hmm. I think those are very important things. And I know a lot of people don't think of hot tubs you know, piece of technology. I know we do in the industry, but advanced sanitization, man, that's important to a customer and having it communicate to the smartphone that it's hot and it's ready and it's safe. And, oh, the power just went out. Is my hot tub still on? Yes. It all sort of tells me that things are okay in the back here our pipes froze and we had to stay at my parents' house and, but we needed to keep our house warm. We had needed to keep our house warm because we needed the pipes to unfreeze. And so, you know, what are we, what are we doing? We're checking our, our nest thermostat to make sure that our house is still warm. And, you know, we've got the cameras set up, the kids cameras that we used to check on them in the middle of the night. We've got them set up focusing on the faucets to see if our water's working (laughs) yet. (laughs) That's hilarious. Yeah. Checking the house remotely. You can look at this in so many different ways, connectivity digitally, but also like we're a whole nother type of person who wants to be connected to everything that we're involved in and own. And I think that a lot of that has sort of helped shape us as consumers. I mentioned that we're going to have this whole new set of consumers coming in the door. I'm very bullish about that. I really am. I think it's happening. So, you know, other than that, it's like steady the course, do what you're always doing, Learn something new every single week. I think that's the best thing I can tell people. Learn something new. This week, choose social media, hopefully. And next week, choose, you know, on how to boost a Facebook post or something. Like, do small little wins because when you add up these small little wins all throughout the year, they're going to add up to your business being amazing. 
And just because you're high-fiving yourself today saying we sold out of hot tubs or pools, things could be very different a year from today. So ready your business for not the times that we're in the pinnacle of the business, ready your business from what's going to happen in the next five years, because it can't keep up this space. It will not keep up at this pace. And those who think it will, you're mistaken because we've been here many, many times before. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's such an exciting time. And I think we're all really pumped that demand hasn't fallen off yet. You know, it's I think we thought after that initial rush that things would, you know, level off or dive and they haven't. But you're right. Like, yeah, there are highs and lows in business. And we're in a high right now, a low will be coming at some point, maybe maybe next year, maybe not for another three years, but you got to think ahead. And a lot of these things are some of those ways that you that you should be doing that. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast for like the third time I'm going to call it at this point. <laughs> this, is, this is perfect. Yeah. I really enjoyed myself and I appreciate you having me, Megan. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks. Enjoy the rest of your day and we will talk to you again soon. Thanks, Megan. The Spa Retailer Podcast is a production of Spa Retailer Magazine. Let us know what you think by leaving a review or emailing us at podcast at sparetailer.com. Thanks for listening.